Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. And this is his wife. And today we are going to make an effort to avoid making the squeaky noise on the chair. My lovely wife is sitting very well behaved on this stool next to me that's a little bit squeaky sometimes. So we apologize if if she squeaks. We can assure you that she's not doing it intentionally. In fact, I'm thinking maybe what we should do instead is just do a standing up podcast. And then that way you won't squeak. I won't squeak. It'll be a squeak free podcast. I don't think so. Okay. So I'm sorry, dear listener. You may just have to put up with a slight bit of squeaking in this Q&A podcast. This is Q&A podcast number 24, and we've got eight questions that I look forward to discussing with my wife here, and I think I've actually got some some good answers, some research for these questions that have been perplexing some of you there in my audience. Before we get into that, though, I have to just clarify that what you hear in this podcast and what you might find on my website is not medical advice. I am not, as some have accused, a doctor. That's right. Someone contacted me in an email and said, Dear Dr. Rose Lano, and that is totally inaccurate. Don't be, that, that's fake news if you hear that I'm a doctor out there. I am just a very experienced, I've got about eight years. I'm just, so I'm just a very experienced, unlicensed self-experimenter practicing free speech here in discussing my own extensive experiences with about a hundred, with over a hundred different smart drugs and nootropics now, along with my interpretations of published science. I spend on average about 10 hours a week pouring through PubMed, pouring through scientific literature, and coming up with uh, connections that I think will be helpful to you. I'd urge you to, before you stick anything in your body, before you pull out your credit card and punch in some numbers to buy some interesting combination of molecules off of the internet from some website, I encourage you to read my article on how to biohack smart and safe, which presents... It's more than just something where I say, be careful, guys, be very careful, be conservative. It's more than just that admonition. In there, I describe a risk methodology, and I describe a empirical methodology for figuring out if you should be trying something. Because, you know, sometimes in life, you should take a risk. But there's also... Some downsides to biohacking and nootropics that you want to soberly consider when you're making your decisions. And you should consult a doctor about any biohacking that you're doing and ideally get a second opinion from another doctor because often doctors can be wrong about things. There's a lot of bad incentives that doctors are kind of ensconced in a lot of times, unfortunately. And a second opinion can also often be worth its weight in gold. But if you're listening to this, you're probably somebody who is interested in and regularly consuming nootropics. And I direct you to a page on my website. In fact, if you just Google Limitless Mindset Secret Society, you'll find this page And on that page, I list a number of vendors whose products I've used personally myself. These are vendors that I feel like they really stand behind their products and they really put their reputation on the line of for having high quality products. And for that reason, and because of the certificates of analysis and the credibility behind the products, 
I recommend them also. I stand for these things also. So these are some of the racetams we talk about, some of the adaptogens and nutraceuticals that we talk about. I've even in there got some credible sources of pharmaceutical grade stuff because some of you are going to want to dabble with pharmaceuticals and you want to get it from a really legit source. And I've got those there on that page. And if you spend at a minimum $100 in the biohacking stuff that you will find there, then you get a complimentary consultation with me included with that. And this is some, this is one of my favorite parts of my job. If not my most favorite part of my job is connecting with different people around the globe and talking to them about what their challenges are, what they're dealing with, and then making being able to clarify to them the usage of some of the things that they are picking up. And as you've probably already experienced, this biohacking thing, there are some, there's some economical ways to do it. And I try to shed the light on that in my articles and discussion of these things, but it's not exactly cheap and it's pretty easy to spend a hundred bucks. So if you're going to be making some investments anyways in your health, I'd love to get in touch with you and chat with you. And I would wager that I can give you some interesting, stimulating ideas that will take this thing to the next level for you. And we are nearing the end of February in the new year. So you're probably thinking about how to take things to the next level in 20. 19. Every time one of these new years rolls around, every time in January when that calendar flips over to a new year, I feel like, wow, I'm living in the future. What do I want to be like in the future? And I go back and look at the self-determination flowchart that I've put together of what I want my life to look like in the future. And I think about, ooh, I've got a lot of work to do here. And if you're kind of feeling the same way, I'd urge you to get in touch with me on a form that I have on my website for Lean Life Coaching. And you're probably already familiar with life coaching. I probably don't need to explain that to you. This is a bit different because like I said, it is lean. So instead of this being kind of a psychological relationship where we are really deeply exploring your past and the uh, psychological biases that you may have. In this program, we do two telephone calls, two consultations, and we put together a a, a medium-term plan for you. I'm a real big fan of medium-term plans. I don't think medium-term plans get the praise they deserve. We put together a action strategy for a medium-term goal that you might have in the next 60 or 90 days, and then you have some habits that you are accountable to me to accomplish, and we will talk about the different life hacks and biohacks that you might want to employ to see those plans that you have through to fruition. And then after 60 days, 30 days, or 90 days, then we do another follow-up telephone call and we discuss how you're doing. You can send me some emails. We can even jump on a short call in the interim between those two periods if you feel like you need a bit more insight. But what this, the, the real value in this is probably in the social accountability mechanism. There's this real powerful motivational switch that we have in us as humans that when we know that someone else that we care about, that we respect, has a expectation of us, it pushes us towards that thing in a way that a lot of times when we're on our own, when we are atomized individuals that are just being washed from one place to the next place in this uh, cultural sea that we're within, a lot of times we don't have that motivation happening. And because this is a lean life coaching program, it's not like $5,000. It's not like $1,000. It's a whole lot more affordable. And that little bit of investment that you make in yourself and that accountability is also going to flip a motivational switch 
for you. So if you're serious about some things in 2019 that have been kind of history repeating itself or history rhyming in your past, then you'll want to consider that. And I've got an awesome form on my website that that really narrows things down. This form is going to get you to think real critically about yourself and your goals and where you're at and, my, and what might be holding you back. And it will allow for me to determine if you're someone that it would be a good fit where my strengths and my experiences might empower you. Well, let's get into the questions here. I believe the first one is on one of my favorite topics. The first question comes from Tinfoil Header and Enlil on YouTube below the video of prepping for certain um, future with nootropics. Mm-hmm. The first guy, Tinfall Header. I don't think they ever put a man on the moon, but I'll never believe there's nothing up their sleeve. And and Lil commented right after him. I don't buy into Cold War propaganda either, but I also know that Flat Earth is a psyop to distract, discredit, and draw out thought criminals. Pretty effective psyop. <laughs> So this is a trailer video for a, a very thorough, deep dive. Very, uh, It's going to be very cinematically produced video I'm going to produce soon about uh, using biohacking and using nootropics to make your, your biology very resilient to catastrophic events, which are somewhere in the future. We don't know when they're going to happen. It might be... There might be a, a radiation spike from the sun that knocks out the power grid. There might be, God forbid, nuclear war at some point. There might be a grid down scenario. There might be political things going on that throw society into chaos. And when these kinds of events happen, you are going to really be wishing that you had stocked up on supplies of certain things, and you're going to be wishing that you had some pharmaceuticals and some herbs to make yourself more resilient. And I go into depth in this. I talk about how to nuke-proof yourself in this article and in this video that's coming soon. So you will want to check that out if you wonder to yourself if there's ever going to be a a nuclear explosion nearby you and what the hell you might be you you might be doing or should be doing in that kind of position to protect yourselves so these commenters talked about the moon landing conspiracy which is something that just seems to be getting more popular it seems like i see this more and more on YouTube now, and it would seem that less and less people believe in the believe that we went to the moon. And I'm really not certain about this one, although I have a personal connection to the moon landings. That's right. My grandfather, his name was Nails Roseland, and he was a senior engineer at NASA in the 1960s and the 1970s. He was one of the top guys there, and he was highly involved in the Apollo and the Mercury shots, uh, space, space shots, and I will actually attach that photo of him there in the NASA control room to the podcast show notes for this if you're a little bit curious about this. And I have personally looked through, I'm a bit skeptical of the moon landings, I have to admit, for some of the same reasons that a lot of people out there all are. But I'm also a bit skeptical of the conspiracy theory that they are faked also, because I have looked through his notebooks. He has, and and he's uh, passed away now, so my family has inherited these huge stacks of notebooks containing many thousands of calculations, handwritten calculations of the moon landings, of 
You can just imagine all the myriad details and engineering schematics that had to be done for that event. And I've looked through just page after page of his handwriting, of plotting and calculating all of these things. And my grandfather, he has a, I've also looked at the, the personal letter of recommendation that Werner von Braun, the famous German, the former Nazi who was brought over to the United States and was uh, picked to head up our rocketry program here. I've looked at the personal letter of recommendation that he wrote, my grandfather, and this work there at NASA, it actually, in a way, killed my grandfather because he was a man who was very susceptible to vice. He drank a whole lot and he smoked a lot of cigarettes, which was in that era, that was how hardworking, ambitious men dealt with their stress. They didn't have, there, there wasn't the popularity of things like uh, meditation or exercise at that time as stress management mechanisms. So they would just have, uh, you know, three or four, maybe more stiff vodka cocktails at the end of a day. And they'd be sucking down cigarettes on their cigarette breaks, uh, whenever they got a chance. And he died of cancer shortly after retiring from his work at NASA. And I, my father was telling me about how he looked through the very last notebook for his work there at NASA, where he had, they had completed the Apollo mission. And at the end of the last notebook, at the very end, the very last word that occurs is Phoenix. Do you know what that word means? No. Phoenix. It means the end in Latin. Oh, like finish. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that, the word Phoenix, the end, that would be a, that would be an odd thing to write in the end of your engineering books if you had just perpetrated a giant hoax. Don't you think? It's possible. Yeah, you would think, you would think that there would be and who knows, maybe one day I'll be able to sit down with those notebooks again and I can, I can pour through them with a conspiracy theorist's eye and I can look for some evidence of a cover-up. And you can send them all over to Donald Trump. I'll send them to Trump. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'll tweet them. I'll tweet them at. He'll be very interested. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll have the free time to do that. He has all that free time to tweet, you know. So that, that seems like an odd thing to write if it was, if it was a giant scam. You would think that there would be, there would be some shame communicated in some explicit or implicit way in there. And I'm a person who's quite skeptical of the government. And I understand that it is the tendency of the government to waste obscene amounts of taxpayers' money. And this makes me a bit sympathetic to the people that say that the moon landing is fake. But I've also heard debates. I've heard some very rigorous, in-depth debates of this topic. And there are the people that don't believe it and they'll bring up these, uh, they'll bring up evidence of things like the, the photographs are low quality photographs and they'll bring up things like the Van Allen radiation belts. And there's almost always uh, cogent, reasonable responses as to why there's all this, uh, all, all this suspicious things that are showing up in the official narrative on the moon landings. And the, the Van Allen radiation belts has to be one of the biggest things that destroys people's faith in the Apollo moon landings. But just for example, and there's some videos that are put out there, like JF had that three hour video on it. There's a number of other videos that are, that offer supportive evidence for, uh, 
what may have been what I hope was mankind's greatest leap into the cosmos. But for example, a lot of people aren't aware just how much gold was used in the Apollo spacecraft. Because you see the Apollo spacecraft and you see kind of this this cone thing, right, that has a couple of little windows in it. And a lot of people don't understand that inside of that cone, there was an incredible amount of gold. Why? They took, because gold blocks radiation. Uh-huh. So they took an incredible amount of gold worth, must have been millions and millions of dollars, if not more. They took an incredible amount of gold foil and they wrapped it all around the uh, that interior scaffolding of that module so that they could block that radiation from killing the astronauts that were traveling through the Van Allen radiation belts so so there's a lot of there's a lot more things to consider when you're just writing it off as 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 a scam and it's it's something that I think is kind of worthy of of consideration because it's uh, I think it's important to have a sense of, a sense of greatness. I think it's important to have a little bit of a sense of pride in your nation and in the things that your, in my case, ancestors, uh, that the people that are, that are, that are your, um, that have passed down civilization to you. It's important to have a little bit of pride in that. And if we do, if we did go to the moon, and I think there's some good reasons to believe that we did, then that's something to take incredible pride in. And finally, if you guys want to go just a little bit further down this rabbit hole, I'll direct you to some of the debates that have been done by this guy named Richard Hoagland, who is a scientist who has a really interesting theory. His theory, you, you may just want to, you, you could disregard it, but he has some fascinating photographic evidence for this theory about there being evidence of ancient civilizations that existed in our solar system. He points to a lot of these different, uh, very, very old, but very distinct what seems to be archaeological foundations of, uh, of grand architecture that exist on the moon, on Mars, and other places around the solar system. <clears throat> and this guy, oh, I just squeaked. I did. I did the squeaking. <laughs> this guy has done some debates on the topic of the moon landings. This guy is a believer in the moon landings, but his theory, his conspiracy theory, if you will, is that the incongruencies in the official moon landing narrative in some of the photos that we see, that these are due to NASA trying to cover up the evidence for a solar system-wide ancient human civilization. I, I don't know if I believe in this totally, but if you're kind of into conspiracy theories, and I know that a lot of you who follow me are very curious minds, you might want to check this one out. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Let's let's come back to Earth a little bit with the next question. Next question comes from Satan Sama. Interesting nickname, by the way. Hmm. What do you think of Maca for sport? What would you recommend for intense swimming? No dopamine inductor. I don't use coffee neither, for instance. I believe everything that use dopamine receptor has a cost in the end. Not worth it to my view. Any thought on this? Because coffee fucked the hell up of me in the end of day. Maybe I'm really sensitive to this. All right, Mr. Satan Sama, thank you for grammar checking that comment. Okay, so maca, ha it might be something that can help you with sport. I took a perusal through PubMed, and there are some PubMed articles that talked about a endurance effect. For example, there was a there is an, a study on this that was called a pilot investigation into the effect of maca supplementation on physical activity and sexual desire in sportsmen. Would you consider me a 
sportsman? Yes, you go to the gym pretty frequently. And I have intense sexual desires. <laughs> Although, I yes, don't I use... Yes, I can't complain, actually. <laughs> great, great, excellent. That's what I want to hear. Although, I don't use maca. I've tried red maca, and then I tried the other type of rock I, maca. I believe it's black maca. And it, the black stuff messed up my stomach a little bit. It gave me a little bit of a stomach ache. Whereas the red stuff went well with my coffee. I haven't tried it yet before going to the gym, so I can't speak personally to this effect on endurance. However, in that pilot investigation, they said that 14 days of maca supplementation improved 40-kilometer cycling time trial performance and sexual desire in trained male cyclists. Hopefully not sexual desire while they were cycling. That would be an inappropriate time for <laughs> sexual desire, don't you think? Yes, So I do. There was, And then I found this a little bit interesting. There was a retracted article, which was called The Research on the Impact of, Mal of Maca Polypeptide on Sports Fatigue. But they, they put it out there and then they retracted it. So it must have not been uh, evidence that really stood up to peer review. So it looks like there's something of an effect, but... Maca might not be the best thing to reach for for your for your swimming. I looked a little bit further. I looked into my own nootropics database, and you might want to look at a couple of other things, like Gota Cola. This is a adaptogen, and there was an Indian review that was done where they were using Gota Cola in forced swim trial mice. Have you ever heard of this? No. What they do is they make they make mice swim. If you've if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a real psychopathic scientist, what they do is they put a bunch of mice in a little mice in a little mousy swimming pool. Okay? And then they get little sticks, okay? And they give they give the mice a nootropic and then they get little sticks and try to push the mice down in the water. And they want to see how long the mice panic in the That's water. That's sick. Yes. That's super sick. This is science. It's no, cruel. No, it's sick. It's cruel, isn't it? It's horrible. But this is this is the little the little mice. They're just giving up their little lives so we can have better evidence for our nootropics. And in this case, because... But it's horrible anyway. Yes, yes. Well, they, they are just mouse. They're not, they're not like little dogs. They don't have names. They're just little squeakers. So in, in this case, I, I think it's fair to assume that something that improves the forced swimming response would probably make you better at swimming. And then you also might want to look at L-tyrosine. L-tyrosine is really good for, for an acute stress response. And acute stress is when you have something that shocks you, that gives you a spike of stress. It could be like getting into a car accident. It could even be something like watching a really scary scene in a movie. And this acute stress response can be it can obviously be unhealthy to you in some uh, ways it can uh, cause diminished performance and the L-tyrosine will mitigate that acute stress response so I think that might be helpful if you're doing yeah if you're doing like intense swimming you might want to try L-tyrosine and you would also want to try things like rhodiola and there was a Belgian study this was uh, not a study where they were psychopathically torturing mice. They were giving rhodiola to young, otherwise healthy athletes, and they concluded that acute rhodiola rosea intake can improve endurance exercise capacity in young, healthy volunteers. So rhodiola is an excellent thing for every biohacker to have in their biohacker bin or cabinet, and that could help, so you'd want to try that. And then finally, I'll direct your attention to Yohimbine, which is something I've been using. You can expect a more thorough review and analysis from me on Yohimbine. This is a, 
It's a nutraceutical that comes from the bark of an African tree, and it increases the... It libido. In, it increases the libido, yes, which you have experienced. <laughs> and it also um, increases your stress, res- some of the stress response steroids, so uh, hormones, sorry. So if you feel like you... If you, if you feel like you your stress levels are already too high, maybe if you're a person that has fatigue, or no, not fatigue, but anxiety issues, you'd want to stay away from Yohimbine. But it is very popular amongst endurance athletes, and it might make a difference in your in your swimming, in whatever intense swimming is that you're doing there. I know that it has made a difference in my in my pull-up count. I can do more pull-ups. As you guys can see on my Instagram, let's see, what else did he mention here? No dopamine inductor. He doesn't like coffee, and he's saying he stays away from anything that stimulates the dopamine receptor. I can understand that. You know, the the street drugs, the these destructive street drugs that are illegal, that are bad for you, what those typically do is they is they hyper stimulate the dopamine receptor and then that receptor becomes numbed to normal things like sitting and having dinner with your wife or whatever. You don't take quite as much pleasure in the simple pleasures of life. And I've heard some people describe that when they use nootropics excessively like there's some people out there that do modafinil like every single day for years on end and that sort of thing i do believe can result in that receptor getting getting numbed getting just way too much attention and that's not good but as long as you as long as you're following kind of a strategy of cycling and rotation with your nootropics you're probably going to be okay to stimulate that dopamine receptor from time to time my, my personal take i don't use a single nootropic day after day week after week month after month i cycle around and thereby am avoiding exhausting a single a single receptor site. So you're probably you're probably okay with doing some stuff with that dopamine receptor. And if you've had really bad experiences with coffee in the past, that is probably because the coffee itself is of low quality because the coffee contains toxins that you are sensitive to or maybe because the coffee had a bunch of sugary additives in it that aren't good for you. So you may want to try experimenting with really high quality organic coffee because that does increase your power that caffeine does increase your power output worth a try or not if you don't want to do coffee no no obligation dude all right next question it comes from enki dies hello jonathan please tell me what do you think about fomodafinil i think we we can pronounce it Flomodafinil. Flomodafinil. Okay. It's safe. Don't give me SJS or allergy and skin interaction like adrafinil. Thanks for your answer. Fluorinated modafinil four times stronger. Yes. So this stuff, it's, it's a fluorinated version of modafinil. And I think it's pronounced flomodafinil. Which just, that just sounds like a great marketing, marketing name for a nootropic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's Flomodafinil. And I'm just a bit skeptical of this one because I found no clinical studies on PubMed for it. And modafinil, armadrafinil, these things are all highly studied. You can find a lot of clinical studies on these things. So I was a bit disappointed to see nothing on PubMed for it. So I would say if your objectives are the types of objectives that modafinil users usually have, which is wakefulness, uh, cognitive enhancement, being uh, staying 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 up and having a ton of energy to work like 12 hours on a project i would say just stick with 
Modafinil or Armadafinil? We both squeaked. We both just squeaked. Our apologies, dear listener. We will try to keep our butts in one place. And uh, so Flomodafinil, it is, it's, it is similar to Modafinil and Armadafinil. So if you're having allergic and skin reactions to Adrafinil, which Adrafinil I hate. Adrafinil is this, I think it's a really crappy nootropic. It's barely, barely a nootropic. Barely, I say Adrafinil should be black sheeped from the family of urologics. But if you've had some uh, some adverse reactions to adrafinil, then you're probably going to want to stay away from this whole family because of the, it, it does have a spectrum of effects that can induce some allergies. That's not totally uncommon. So if you're just looking for cognitive enhancement, if you're just looking for a wakefulness drug, consider things like the racetams, and you can also consider what a lot of people call the herbal alternative to modafinil, which is rhodiola. That's right. Rhodiola can be a wakefulness and a wakefulness agent. You need to do a bit more of it though. Next question. Eric on Facebook. John, have you ever heard or tried omega-3 from red krill and not wild caught salmon or from sardine? Act. The absorption of this omega-3 krill oil is something amazing. You can really feel it. The scientific logic behind this is that the loads of golden omega-3 pills we see with huge amounts of DHA and EPA are not fully getting absorbed. The red you see is a powerful antioxidant, astaxanthin, which is naturally found in krill and helps preserve the omega-3, so no smelly, fishy smell. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for a vendor. For example, there's these guys, big BioGlan, BioGlan, that sell omega-3 from red krill. And I have to admit that, okay, uh, fish oils, Omega-3 and the DHA, EPA, this is something that I'm not an expert on. Omega-3s are, are, are listed really frequently among the nootropics. I'm aware that they feed your brain a lot of the building blocks for our, uh, for our mind. However, I've listened to a couple of different podcasts and read some articles about omega-3 EPA, DPA, uh, DHA fish oil being one of these industries that really has a problem with contamination. There was a Ben Greenfield podcast where he interviewed this woman who was the CEO of Twin Labs, and she wrote a book that I told you about. Oh, yeah. Remember, I was going to buy you this book. So you could so you could read it because it sounded like uh, an awesome book for lady biohackers like you. And in the in this interview, she was talking about this big this systemic problem with omega three supplements, which is that the kind of what happens. So they come from fish, right? And what they do is they have one of those giant fish nets that you can imagine them tugging behind one of those fish boats somewhere in the, uh, somewhere in the North Sea where there's a bunch of uh, fishermen just freezing their balls off on the, on the, on the fishing trawler. Izmrosnaha me martinkite, right? That's my Bulgarian for it's a very cold day outside, which it is which it has been this week here. Anyways, so you can imagine that what they do is they pull a bunch of their fish up out of the ocean and then they dump uh, like hundreds or thousands of their fish on the deck of the boat or in some hold within the boat. And then they, then they go and uh, troll their boat around the ocean, literally trolling the original trolls. Uh -huh. Or fishermen uh -huh. trolling, tr 
trolling for fish. It's funny how how the internet parlance changes the uh, meaning of words from one thing into something very different, isn't it? So they would leave the fish on the ship for quite a while. And a lot of times there would be a oxidize, oxidization that would occur. And, so, and a lot of the fish oil that you see is the result of these just imagine a ton of nasty fish sitting there on the deck of a boat for a long time. And then afterwards, they take that oil and they uh, process it a bit and then package it. And you can find that on the shelves of your local pharmacy or Walmart or whatever. So there's there's massive problems with purity of the of the oils in this. And I have not yet, I'll admit, I have not yet gone and evaluated uh, different sources of omega-3 to find a really pure source. So I don't have a recommendation at this point. I would say uh, you you might want to look further into the omega-3 from red krill oil that Eric here mentions. And you would want to go and check out this interview with uh, with the Twin Labs woman because it was very eye-opening next question is again from eric but this time on youtube is it the same eric i'm not sure okay i don't know it's below your review of nupet mm-hmm. thanks for sharing i've read many reddit posts myself and many of the things that i have read are absurd One in particular was a guy complaining about various negative side effects that came with his new pept consumption, although he then states that he was using modafinil along with it. But he was sure that it was the new pept which was causing him to crash and have extremely low energy upon it wearing off. Absolutely comical. Others have stated that new pept has ruined their brain despite the fact that they had abused substances such as benzodiazepines shortly prior to trying Nupept. It seems that many individuals are trying to fix an underlying problem with certain nootropics and then if they have some sort of negative result after their use, they are certain to pin the problem on the nootropic. In my experience, Nupept is very subtle and it has had a positive impact on my brain, therefore I can, I cannot fathom how some can claim that this substance has had any significant negative impact on their brain. Also, isn't Nupept most effective for those with neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's? Well, Eric, I'm glad to hear that you have enjoyed Nupept and found it beneficial. Nupept is a great nootropic for meditators. It's a great nootropic for people that are aware, that are highly aware of the the subtleties in their cognitive functioning, because it's not something that really energizes you, that really has a, a real strong, noticeable effect. But if you're a pretty self-aware person, if you have some kind of mindfulness practice, and then you go on Nupept, you will notice that it gives you just a little bit of edge of clarity and quickness and recall. So he brings up the uh, the train wreck of information and disinformation that is Reddit, my my old enemy. And on Reddit, yeah, you can find uh, plenty of pretty horrific stories that people have about nootropics. And uh, often what can happen is that people will use a nootropic, especially the racetams. This, this seems to happen with the racetams more often than some of the other nutraceuticals that are out there, people will order the racetams, which, which anyone can do it. Even in, even in countries that try to police 
and regulate a bit the usage of racetams. There's just so many sources of racetams on the internet that you can order them and get them no matter what. And they're non-patented, they're pretty cheap, so you can get a lot of them. And they are also, they're relatively low risk. They are virtually have almost no toxicity to them. And so people will sometimes use them at just irresponsibly high dosages. They will really stimulate those neurotransmitters and then they will go off of them and they'll experience some type of adverse effect. Last year, I did a in-depth, deep dive article. I think it was like three or 4,000 words where I went and looked at all the recent science that had been done on paracetam. And then I went and looked at probably several hundred different anecdotal reports on paracetam because it's such a popular drug. Every year, you can find hundreds of new anecdotal reports on it. And I was curious about something that I call the post-paracetam intelligence deficit. I had heard anecdotally from a couple of different people that they used paracetam and then they actually felt like they were stupider once they went off the paracetam. And I thought that was a bit troubling. I was like, wow, that's really not what we want out of our nootropics, right? And I conducted a poll on a Facebook page. I conducted a poll on paracetam and on, uh, on paracetam on longevity as well. And I found that the majority of people, okay, the majority of people experienced that it increased their intelligence in general while they were on it. And then the second majority of people said that that, uh, said that it increased their intelligence even when it went, even when they went off of it. So it had a beneficial effect on them even, even afterwards, which is just a, a good value, right? And then there was a small minority of people that said that there was no effect from it. And then there was a tiny minority of respondents that said that they felt like they were dumber after they had gone off of paracetam. So I really don't think you have to worry much about a post-paracetam intelligence deficit. My perception was the same as Eric's, which is that the people that have an adverse reaction are using it really irresponsibly at way too high a dosages. And then they're also doing a lot of irresponsible drug use and abuse, either along with the paracetam or directly previous to it. So it's really not that big of a surprise that they're having a reaction that they're not enjoying. He also mentions Nupept and Alzheimer's. And there was a 2008 study called Nupep stimulates the expression of NGF and BDNF in rat hippocampus. And it explained that it's the BDNF mechanism that is beneficial to those that are struggling with Alzheimer's. And I'll quote from that. In light of this, our findings suggest that Nupep holds much promise to prevent the development of Alzheimer's disease in patients with mild cognitive impairments. However, this was a, this was a in vitro study, which means, do you remember what in vitro means? Yes. What does it mean? You mean the term itself? In vitro. Do you remember what it means? Well, it's a method for Mm -hmm. getting pregnant. As far (laughs) as I know. In vitro. Uh... Yes, but it it means something a little bit different. It means in the glass. In the glass? In glass, yes. In Latin. Mm-hmm. Well You're people. learning you're learning some Latin <laughs> in this podcast. Well, people generally know that in vitro is the in vitro fertilization. Yes, yes, is the pregnancy method. So what that means typically is that you get some organic samples of something and you put those samples on one of those little glass slides. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those little glass slides that you would put under a microscope in mm-hmm. science class? Mm-hmm. I broke so many of those little slides. Those little glass things, they would just break all the time. 
but that's considered in the glass, in vitro. So in this study, what they're doing is, I, uh, I, they're, they're saying that they're taking like the rat hippocampus and they are, well, now I'm a little bit confused about this study because I'm, because it does say in vitro. So I'm wondering, I know you can take a slice of a hippocampus and you can put it in a, in the glass under the microscope, but I would assume, but then the rat's going to be dead, right? You know, this is just a podcast about the, the cruel fate that awaits rats in life. I pray we don't reincarnate as rats, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so, so it's saying that the, it has a, uh, a anti, a Alzheimer's preventative effect. Although, I don't know if there's new PEP studies that were done in humans. I think at this point, there's kind of a limited clinical studies that were done in humans. So I would probably not put new PEP at the top of the list of things for, uh, for dealing with Alzheimer's. You might want to look at even something like, uh, cerebrolicin. You'd want to look at all of the, uh, Mitochondrial support supplements, those are going to help. All right, let's move on to the next question, babe. Scott on YouTube, below the withstand kratom withdrawal video. It's an opioid agonist, buddy, not a legit opioid for real. Okay, so the kratom crowd does not like my YouTube videos very much, and... In regards to Crotum, there's kind of these two competing disinformation campaigns. There's a, uh, there's a group of legislators, which are statists. There's a, uh, there's people in the FDA. There is the pharmaceutical lobby. There's this, you know, this just kind of grotesque group of people in the government that are, uh, that are, working to kind of constrict liberty and they're also working to protect the pharmaceutical companies cartels and they are pushing to try to make kratom illegal and they have succeeded in doing so in a number of the u.s states which is really unfortunate because it's a herb that can help a lot of people deal with their opioid addictions it helps a lot of people that have PTSD and chronic pain it's something that has restored quality of life to a lot of military veterans that have been injured in their service to our country and uh, in response to this you have the people that love kratom that use kratom that kratom has really empowered their lives and give them given them a, a modicum of normality in a, in dealing with their chronic conditions and these people have grown increasingly hysterical and there's a lot of pro kratom people that say kratom is not an opioid they they don't want that out there in the public space because opioids in in the lay person's mind and the person that is not very pharmacologically woke to the nature of things opioids are kind of a bad word they're like ooh opioids that's like heroin right opioids are bad you know hopefully the government will come along to protect us from these scary opioids and so there's a bit of disinformation on the procreatum side trying to say that no it's not an opioid however you can find on PubMed 78 papers that either identify kratom as an opioid or that they identify it to have opioid-like properties. And you can find, as I said, a number of papers out there, pieces of scientific research that are saying that kratom is behaving like an opioid. And it probably doesn't fit as squarely into the opioid pharmacological mechanistic box as, say, the uh, benzodiazepines or uh, oxycotton does. But it's close enough that I think we can call it an opioid. And it, it, this is also a case of if it, if it walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck and talks like a duck, then it's a duck. I'm not sure if I said that 
expression correctly. But if it's behaving just like an opioid and it has very similar parallels in its molecular structure, then I'm sorry, Kratom guys. I'm, I'm on your side of this fight, but it is an opioid. Let's move on to the next question. Warrior styles. Question, how do recitams affect bipolar disorder, especially mania? Okay, so this is something that I did a bit of reading up on today while I think you were petting your dog. <laughs> and I actually found a little bit of troubling information. I found some posts on Reddit, and then I also found some posts on longevity where there was people that were uh, bipolar, uh, had bipolar disorder, and they said that using paracetam aggravated the mania. And I would, I would urge people, if you, if you do have bipolar disorder and you want to use the racetams, they might help. I did, there is anecdotal evidence out there that racetams may help with bipolar disorder. I went on to PubMed and I looked for a clinical study where they were specifically evaluating bipolar disorder with paracetam and I didn't really find anything meaningful. So unfortunately, uh, PubMed is not helping us there. But the, what I found in the anecdotal corners of the internet it makes me urge a little bit of dosage conservatism. If you're going to if you're bipolar and you're going to try paracetam, try it at a real low dose. Don't get crazy with the dose. You might not like it. And I would direct your attention to four other nootropics for dealing with your bipolar disorder that I will link to. First is B vitamin B B12. And B12 deficiency is actually pretty common unless you're regularly supplementing vitamin B12 or you just have a really amazing diet. You may be B12 deficient and that can manifest in the form of mania. Alcar, specifically in combination with CoQ10, is a really good idea for people who suffer from bipolar disorder. I mentioned this in the last Q&A podcast that we did. There was a 2003 paper that I'll link to that said mitochondrial receptors treatment targets mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, altered brain energy metabolism, and the dysregulation of multiple mitochondrial genes in patients with bipolar disorder. Convergent data. I love that word. Convergent. I'm going to find more excuses to use that word. Convergent. Convergent, like coming, coming together. It's just like the coolest word for saying for saying convergent. Like I can <laughs> I say. I thought you had another favorite word. <laughs> like I could. Okay, so convergent data implicate mitochondrial dysfunction as an important component of the pathophysiology of bipolar disorder. So Alcar CoQ10, they are going to address that mitochondrial dysfunction. Uridine, there was a, hu a human clinical trial with uridine and bipolar disorder. And then memantine has some uh, clinical evidence in regards to bipolar disorder. But I'm actually getting, I, I'm getting a bit more skeptical of memantine. I've heard some, some, uh, some things, some concerning things about memantine. So it's far from the top of my list of nootropics that I would recommend to people right now. Let's move on to the final question. Blood clot on YouTube. Great series. May I ask how you came to be able to write and publish a book? Is there a streamlined way to do this these days? He's talking about your, your audiobook series. That's right. Mm -hmm. How to be cross-eyed, mm -hmm. thriving despite your physical imperfection. imperfection. Yeah. And maybe you can answer this question a bit as well. Well, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed the audiobook series, the audiobook version. Some people have told me that it was very foolish of me to publish my audiobook for free on my YouTube channel, that perhaps I should have sold it for uh, $14, $15, $16. Who knows? Maybe I'll take it down from YouTube one day and you'll have to pay $16 for it. 
but for the time being it's free and I think you'll really enjoy it. So to address your question here, how can you be able to write and publish a book? I would say that the biggest challenge with writing a book is that you want to say something meaningful that people would enjoy listening to. And there's a there's a uh, danger zone that I think a lot of people fall into when they write a book, which is that they merely theorize in their book about something, about a topic that has been really thoroughly explored in other books. And if you're going to want, if you're going to write a book, you want it to be a great book. You want it to cover some type of novel information. And this is why I'm a big fan of books that have like some new theory that they are fleshing out and presenting to the public. Like the book that I'm reading right now, The Revolutionary Phenotype, which explores this novel theory of genetic history. It's real interesting. I'll be publishing my book review of that sometime soon. But there's uh, it's it's very difficult to write a book like that. It's very difficult to develop a really original concept for a book because there's almost nothing original under the sun. And for that reason, I chose to write a memoir because your story, my story is unique to us. Nobody else can tell our story the way that we can. And you can take, you can take ideas that you think are good ideas that are perhaps even ideas that you've borrowed from other people that you've refined, that you've rearticulated and remixed and self-experimented with. And you can present those ideas and life hacks through the lens of your own experiences. And if you've had a kind of interesting life like I have, I think that it can make for a good book. And the feedback that I've gotten thus far in the book is that it is a real entertaining read, that it's not a a dry set of self-help prescriptions because I tried to really spend a lot of time on storytelling in the book. So I would say that there's kind of two paths to go down as an author. And in the, in the future, I hope to write more books and then I'll hopefully be able to provide you with more insight. But I would say that there's two paths to go down. And the one path is to try to develop out an original idea. And this is probably a harder thing to do. This is probably more time consuming. The, and then the second path is to write about your own experiences and write your own story. And perhaps if it's a good story, that's something people will find value and instruction in. The second half of your question here, is there a streamlined way to do this these days? Well, first of all, focus, time, and energy are what it's going to take. It is very time consuming and it requires a lot of focus. You need to devote hours and hours and hours on end in front of your computer for weeks, months, or years to write a book. And you need to resist all the distractions that are out there that get in the way. So first of all, you'd want to, you'd want to put into place all the different biohacks that I talk about on my YouTube channel for staying focused, for resisting distraction. And then I am a, a major critic of the mainstream publishing arena where you go to a mainstream publisher and present them with your manuscript and then hope that they will accept your manuscript and pay you a reasonable amount of money and then somehow get your book on the shelves at Barnes and Nobles. I think that that is an almost totally fruitless direction for authors, especially first-time authors, to pursue. People say that a bank is where you should go to get a loan if you can prove that you don't need it. And I would say that a mainstream publisher and probably even an alternative publisher is the place to go to publish your book if you can prove that you don't need their help to market your book. So 
do the marketing yourself. I'm a big fan of this website that I use to write my book called Readsy, readsy.com. And I'll link to that in the show notes along with everything else. And this is a really cool tool. I tried a couple of tools that kind of sucked, but I finally settled on this one because it's pretty great for formatting the book into a really nice Kindle presentation that's going to look good on people's Kindles and e-readers. So I would say check out Readsy and just get to work on your book. Spend a lot of time and a lot of energy. <laughs> Stock up on nootropics because you're going to need them to write a book. And when you write it, if it's a good book, send it to me and I'll read it. What about you? Do you have any insights on writing the book because you helped me with it? Yes, I remember that it wasn't easy for you at all. You put a lot of energy out there. Mm-hmm. I would say it took about 15 bottles of nootropics to write a book, wouldn't you? Yeah, maybe. I don't remember exactly. You always take nootropics, but maybe those nootropics have helped for you to focus and write an incredible book that a lot of people have liked so far. Respirese. <laughs> That means, of course, in Bulgarian. It's been a pleasure being in your ear today. I hope these answers were the answers you were looking for. Again, I'm Jonathan. And I'm his wife. And we look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal Notices if you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.